Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Let's go into this. I love Christmas. Do you love Christmas? I love Christmas. It is it is one of my, if not the favorite time of year, it's, it's one of my favorite times of the year. I love it when the lights go up. In fact, I love it so much, I, I talked to my wife into let's begin Christmas a couple weeks early. Our family is one of those families that's like, We don't do Christmas until after Thanksgiving. We have Halloween decorations, we have Thanksgiving decorations, and we have Christmas decorations, and the two do not cross, or the three do not cross, okay? But I convinced her because I told her a sad story, and we got the tree up a couple weeks early. I'm not normally like that, but this year I just just love... Christmas. I love when the lights go up and the trees go up, and 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 I love I love Christmas movies, man. I love watching White Christmas with Bean Crosby and Rosemary Clooney, right? Yeah, man. I, I love Christmas movies. I like How the Grinch Stole Christmas, right, with Boris Karloff, the animated version, or Jim Carrey. I don't really care. I just like the Grinch. It's a great when his heart expands, my heart expands, and my tears start coming down my face because it's such a good like. Yes, he got it. I'm so proud of the Grinch. He's, he did such a good job. I love the I love Elf and the discovery of the world's greatest cup of coffee. It's great, man. And and, and when he pulls the gum off of the off of the the, the the streets of New York, that's just awesome. That's just great comedy, you know. Or when he's in the department store and he stretches to go up the escalator, I do that. Listen, it doesn't have to be Christmas. I do that every time I get on an escalator. I reenact the scene from Elf as I stretch my arms and legs to go up the escalator. Because I love Christmas. I like Christmas food. Come on, somebody, right? I love me some Christmas food. You see, the family I'm part of, our tradition is that on Christmas Day, we have Christmas brunch, which is really more around lunchtime, but we call it brunch, and Christmas dinner, and all the food is just good. I feel like, let me just be honest with you, I feel like on that day, just... Just put a blanket on me while I sit at the table and let me take a nap between the two meals and I'll be happy. I don't have to get up. I'm good. I love Christmas ham. Oh, gosh. I love Christmas ham. So good. Peppermint chocolate chip milkshakes at Chick-fil-A. Christmas is awesome. I love everything about Christmas. I love Christmas music. Do you know there are two kinds of people in the world? And it all relates to Christmas music. There are two kinds of people in the world. The first kind of person, they will not listen to Christmas music until maybe Thanksgiving afternoon, but but probably on Friday morning they'll let you listen to Christmas music. The other kind of person listens to Christmas music when decorations go up in Walmart, which is about August. <laughs> love Christmas music. I love all kinds of Christmas music, right? The song that Marissa just sung, Silent Night, it's one of my favorite Christmas songs because it has one of my favorite stories attached to it. I don't know if you know this about Silent Night. Silent Night was written back in the 1800s, but the story that really captures my heart happened in 1914 during World War I. World War I, the German soldiers and the English soldiers and the French soldiers are just... just, at the, at the front line, entrenched in a, in a, in a war that, that it seemed like maybe never would end, but definitely the Great War. And they're just, they're just encamped there on the battle lines, and Christmas is approaching. And they decide a few spots on the front lines of this world war that they would call a ceasefire, a truce. We call it the Christmas truce. 
And there are reports of, of people exchanging, um, you know, words and, 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 and greeting one another. And there's definitely a time there for each side to go and, and, and tend to their wounded and, and, their, and their fallen soldiers in what they call like the no man zone, uh, where, where nobody, if you went there, you died. There are reports that they played soccer in the no-man zone. That's incredible. But here's the part of the story that just gets me every time. The one song that both sides could sing because they knew was Silent Night. Can you imagine what kind of atmosphere that was in the midst of this raging war when soldiers on opposite sides of the ideology of the front line gathered together to sing Silent Night, Holy Night. For one night in the middle of the war, all is calm. And maybe we can see a little bit bright in all of this dark and gloominess. I just love that story. But when you think about Christmas, Christmas isn't so much about one silent night that happened, but a series of silent nights, really 400 years of silent nights. And Christmas is the interruption of 400 years of silence from God. You see the arrival of Jesus Christ in this little town called Bethlehem in a cave where nobody was really, there there were no paparazzi, there were no cameras taking pictures of the Son of God when he was born. When, When Jesus arrives, it comes after this long period of nothing. The last book of the Old Testament is called Malachi. And in when, when, when Malachi closes, in our, in our Bibles, it, it might be one page, and then we're reading Matthew. Maybe two pages. Maybe you've got a blank page and a page that says the New Testament, and then you begin Matthew. But those one or two pages represent, according to our Christian tradition, over 400 years of nothing, of silence. Malachi ends, the curtain closes on the Old Testament, and God goes quiet. No words from God. No voice of God. No prophets from God. Nothing. For 400 years. Nothing. Can you imagine if you are, if you are a faithful follower, can you imagine the struggle that you go through trying to keep faith when God is saying nothing? You can imagine the questions that people would ask, right? Where did he go? Like, like what happened? What is, what is God doing? Did he get frustrated? Did he just get up and leave? Did he just walk away? Was he ever really here to begin with? What's, what's going on? And then when, like, from our perspective, we might look back and say, well, what happened during that 400 years? Did God, did God slowly, like, get in a better mood and decide to send Jesus? Was he gone? Was he there? What, what was he doing? Why... All the silent nights. And here's why this is an important question for us to ask. Because I know something about you that's true for everybody in this room. You've endured your own season of silent nights. And it might not be 400 years from you, but it sure feels like it, doesn't it? Nights when when you pray and God has seemingly gone silent. Nights when you try to approach God, not nights when, when you've got a prayer that needs answered, nights when you need a breakthrough in your life and God seems to be quiet. Like, nothing. Let me ask you a series of questions. Let's see if we're all on the same page, if we can all relate to this. Have you ever 
felt like God seemed silent to you? Has God ever seemed silent? Have you ever asked the question, God, where are you? What are you doing? Are you even here? Do you even see what's going on in my life? Has it ever felt like God took 400 years to answer your prayer? Have you ever, have you ever experienced the, the, the silence from God that caused you to wonder if there really even is a God? That he's so quiet and he's so silent, you've just concluded perhaps maybe he doesn't even exist. Well, if any of those apply to you, then you're here for a good reason. Because that's what we're going to talk about. Because we've all experienced that kind of thing from God when he just goes silent. Because, because we're all waiting on something, aren't we? Like we're all waiting on something. We're waiting on, we're waiting on a job. Some of us are waiting on a letter of approval or a letter of acceptance. Some of us are waiting on a prayer to be answered. Some of us are waiting on healing. Some of us are, are, are waiting on, on, on an, an answer, on a, on a relationship. Some of, we're all waiting. And the thing is, it's really hard to have a merry and bright Christmas when you're waiting and you don't know what God's doing. It's really hard to have your days be merry and bright, just like the song says, when God feels absent. From your life. And so let's talk about that. There's two questions I want us to try to answer today. And the first one is this. What is God doing when he's silent? Like what, what is he actually doing? And then, and then what do we do? Like what is God doing when he's not talking? And then what do we do? What's our responsibility? And just, because, just in case you like want to fall asleep today because you had a hard night last night or, 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 or you go to sleep every week, I'm going to go ahead and give you kind of the bottom line. Every week I try to um, preach in such a way that it can all be brought down to one sentence. And here's our one sentence today. Never confuse God's silence with God's absence. Never confuse God's silence. Because you see, in times of silence, what we have the tendency to do is we have the tendency to try to take control of our own life. To try to wrestle control because we believe that God has, has abandoned us or we believe that God has, 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 has left the building. So we feel like, well, it's on my shoulders. It's on me. In my view, nothing's happening. So I've got to make something happen. I've got to, I've got to do something. And these moments can either be moments of great regret in our life. <laughs> Or if we lean into him and we, and we learn how to trust him in these moments of silence, they can be moments when God grows our faith stronger. And they can be moments where we discover something about God maybe that we didn't know before the silence. It's why the Christmas story is so good. Because the Christmas story isn't this story that's, that's high and above all of, all of us, that's, that's beyond us. It's, it's not a, a story that's beyond the problems of everyday life, right? It's a story about even when God is silent, he's not absent. In fact, even when God is quiet, he hasn't actually gone anywhere. Christmas is a story that reminds us that our God can be trusted because when he makes a promise, he comes through. And in every word and every promise that he makes is fulfilled. 
If you have your Bible, you can uh, open it up to uh, Galatians, but we're not going to start there. We're actually going to jump back to Malachi. I'm not going to read from Malachi. I just want to give you the idea of what's happening in Malachi chapter 4, which is the last chapter of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, the prophet Malachi is ending with words about Moses and Elijah and the law and the prophets. And Malachi is basically saying, hey, check this out. God is going to send a prophet like Elijah for the day of the Lord, right? There's this, there's this idea in the Old Testament of this great coming day of the Lord. And, and Malachi says God's going to send a prophet like Elijah before the great day of the Lord. So in the meantime, between now and then, you need to keep the law. You need to follow God. You need to keep his commandments. And then, silence. God goes quiet for 400 years. There's not another word from God. We don't have, in our tradition, we don't have Bible to go figure out what happened in those 400 years. But we do have recorded history. Like, we actually do know what was happening in our world. You know, we have people that that know what was going on. And here's the thing. You don't have to agree with anything that I say the rest of the time. But you can't argue with what I'm going to tell you happened in those 400 years. Because you can go to a history teacher. Like, you can call up your high school history teacher, your college history teacher. You can find a history teacher online and say, did these things actually happen in this, in this time period? And they're going to say, yes, this is what happened in this stretch of history. And these three events that happened can be directly tied to the fact that you're sitting in, where you, in the seat you're sitting in hearing somebody talk about Jesus. If these three things didn't happen, there's a good uh, guess that you wouldn't be where you're at today. These three things, the fact that we're all here living in, in, in our country, listening to the, to the gospel, attending a church, is, is due in large part to what happened in those 400 years. And the first one is this. Shortly after Malachi closes his, his, his prophecy, his letter, his book, um, the world powers are shifting and, and moving around, right? Different nations are rising. Other nations are falling. Uh, Persia's come and gone. Babylon's come and gone. And there's a guy named Philip. And he's on, he's on this little, little peninsula called, well, eventually will be called Greece. And Philip unifies a portion of Greece. But Philip isn't really the main player. The main player is Philip's son, Alexander. Alexander the Great. You probably remember Alexander the Great from history class, right? Alexander the Great is, is, is recognized by historians just about everywhere as one of, if not the greatest military strategist in human history. Basically, Alexander the Great set out to conquer the known world that he could get to in his lifetime, and he did. Like, like historians say, not only was he probably the greatest, the greatest military strategist up until then, but many will say that there has not been his equal ever in the world. No one has equaled his his insight and his ability. But the thing is, at 33 years old, Alexander the Great died. So he died pretty young. But before he died, he made a really, really important decision. He decided that that in his empire, in the, in this in this kingdom that he ruled, everybody needed to speak the same language. Everybody needed to needed to understand each other. And so mainly because he was real egotistical, he thought, if I want to tell people something, if I want to issue a decree, I don't want anybody translating my words. I want everybody to understand what I say. 
And so what happened is as he conquered people, he, he, he implemented that they would learn the Greek language. And what we call that in like Bible terms is Koine Greek, but that Koine word is just a word that means common. So it just means common Greek. Everybody in the known world spoke Greek. Everybody did. And here's why that's such a big deal. Because if you've ever heard the name of Jesus preached, it's because of that. Because the entire New Testament, all the writings of the early church, they're all written in Greek, in this common language that everybody could speak. Here's why that's a big deal. When you go into a town, you don't have to learn their language. You can just speak Greek. It didn't matter if you were a Jew or you were a Gentile. It didn't matter if you were from Jerusalem or Rome or Egypt. When everybody speaks the same language, you don't have to translate to preach the gospel. You can just share it. A missionary can go out and they can be understood by the world at large. So perhaps this is Alexander's idea. Hey, I'm going to have everybody speak the same language. Or perhaps God works through rulers and leaders of this world to accomplish his vision in the earth. And even though God was silent, it didn't mean he was absent. He was working behind the scenes. Two more things happened. The, the, Greek, the, the, the Greece, uh, militarily, they will, they will fall. They will crumble. They'll go away, right? Their culture will stay. Everybody will continue to speak Greek, but the, but the, the, the world power that Greece was fades away. And another world power rises up, known as the Roman Empire. Right? Like, the Roman Empire did a lot of really evil, bad, terrible things, but there are two things that they did that allow people to travel further, faster than ever before. The first one is this. It's kind of a Latin phrase. It's called Pax Romana, which means the peace of Rome. In other words, there was a stretch of history for about 200 years where it was relatively peaceful inside the Roman Empire. You could, you could travel. You didn't really have to worry about, about uh, being attacked because Rome ensured that everybody inside the Roman Empire lived in relative peace. And the second thing Rome was really great at was building roads. Like They were awesome road builders. They, in fact, some of the roads that they built thousands of years ago still exist, and some of them are the foundation for modern-day roads. They were just incredible road builders. So why is that a big deal? Here's, here's why that's a big deal. So Jesus lives, Jesus is born, Jesus lives, Jesus dies, Jesus is resurrected, Jesus ascends into heaven. In Acts, the disciples decide, we've got to take this story about Jesus to the world. How are you going to get there? How are you going to get there, and how do you know that it will be relatively safe to travel? Because it's the Roman peace, and you've got roads to go all over the known world. Paul, the Apostle Paul, will go on several missionary trips. How did he get there? How did he go on these trips? He took Roman roads, and because he was a Roman citizen, he had Roman peace all through Asia Minor. So... When we think back about those 400 years of silence, it's not like I looked back and put these pieces together and said, oh, well, I guess that's what's happening in the world. That's, you know, Paul himself saw that. Look what Paul says. We're finally in Galatians chapter 4, verse uh, 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Check this out on the screen behind me. Verse 4. But when the set time 
had fully come. Well, what does that mean? It means that God had appointed a time and said, here is the set time that I'm going to send my son. Here's the appointed time. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. That we might receive adoption to sonship. When the set time arrived. Which means this wasn't a random decision. (laughs) Let's just do this. If this is getting on my nerves, kill the lights and turn the overhead lights on. Just just kill it, turn the overhead lights on, and we'll be fine. Totally kill it. There we go. Let's do it like this, all right? So, when the set time had fully come. Other passages of scripture will say it this way. They'll say, the fullness of time had arrived. The fullness of time. Means that God was working the entire time. That he never stopped working. And he's always working for his glory and for your joy. When 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 the set time fully come. It means that God works while we wait. And I know you feel like you're in a season of waiting right now. And you're wondering what in the world is going on. When we can't see him working, we have to understand that he is orchestrating the events of heaven and earth to accomplish his purpose in your life and my life. Have you ever been to a play? You know what I mean? Like, have you ever been to a play that has multiple acts? Like Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. What, what happens in a play, basically, is uh, they, they come out, they do Act 1, right? And then the curtain closes, and they call it intermission. And you go to the bathroom, you stand in line to get some popcorn. You know, you do whatever you're going to do during intermission. And when you come back for Act 2, the curtain raises, and the stage is entirely different. Well, see, while you are waiting in line, for your popcorn, while you were standing in line to go to the bathroom, people were behind the curtain rearranging the stage so that when Act 2 began, everything was prepared. So when the Old Testament closes and the curtain drops, none of this was possible. None of the New Testament was possible when Malachi chapter 4 ends and the curtain drops and so God gets to work and he's, he's shifting things around and he's causing people to speak the same language and he's creating roads so that people can travel. And he's establishing a relative peace so that when the curtain comes up, the world is perfectly positioned for Jesus' arrival and the presentation and preaching of the gospel. Now, why is that important? Because you have your own season of silent nights. You have times in your life when God has gone silent and you're left wondering, God, what are you doing? I've prayed and I've prayed and I've asked, and I'm doing everything that I know to do, and nothing. Perhaps, I just want to offer this to you this morning. Maybe, by chance, God is rearranging the stage in your life behind the curtain that that, that you see. 
and he's busy and he's working. And I don't know what that looks like for you. And, and, and I can't tell you the details of what's going on, but I do know this. God rarely shows up at our appointed time, but God always shows up at the set time. God always shows up at his appointed time. God will always show up when the set time has fully come. And he did it. And he did it in the New Testament. He'll do it in your life. He's working behind the scenes. And when the curtain rises, it'll be at the right time in your life so that he can accomplish his will and his vision for you. What you need to understand when the night seems silent, when God has gone dark, when God has gone quiet, is he's not gone anywhere. He's just rearranging the stage. And you may have no idea what's going on. You may have no clue what he's doing, but he's working to accomplish his purpose in your life. When you feel like waiting is wasted time, you need to understand this, that waiting is never wasted when you're waiting on God. And I know you feel like you're wasting time. And I know you look at your life right now and you think, I thought I would be further along than this. Why am I waiting so long? Waiting is never wasted when you're waiting on God. So what do we do? If, if that's what God is doing, if God is rearranging the stage, if God is, 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 is bringing events and, and moving heaven and earth to accomplish his will and purpose in your life, what do we do? What do we do in the silence? Well, here's, here's what we talked about at the very beginning. When you hear God's silence... And you feel his absence. Here's what you do. Trust his presence. When you feel like God has gone dark. And you can't hear his voice. And he's not anywhere to be seen. You just have to lean in. And trust. That just because God feels absent. He's not. And just because he's silent. He's not absent. In fact he hasn't gone anywhere. When God doesn't seem to be making sense at all. When he allows things in your life that you don't understand. That you can't figure out. It's really easy to conclude that God has just vacated the premise. That God has just abandoned you. That God has just left the building and taken everything and he's, he's deserted you. And even when he's silent and he feels absent, it doesn't mean that he's not present. He hasn't gone anywhere because of Christmas. Christmas tells us that every longing in our heart will be fulfilled by God. And as we struggle with our own sense of silence and we strain to see what God is doing in our lives and we look for him and we don't find him, Christmas reminds us that God is a God who comes through. That God is a God who can be trusted because when you hear his silence, and you feel his absence. You have to lean in and trust his presence. So how do we do that? Like, like how do we get there? What would, what would a person like you, in a situation like yours, do if they were fully confident that God was with them? Have you ever thought, like, like think about that right now. What would somebody just like you, in a situation just like yours. What would they do if they knew without a doubt, without a question, that God was with them? Figure that out and then go do that. 
Ask yourself, what would I do if I knew, if I was confident that God was with me? Then go do it. Because the thing is, Christmas tells us that not only is God working behind the scenes, not only has God not gone anywhere, but He is with you. And when, and when God is working behind the scenes, and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing in front of this, uh, in front of the curtain, when God's working behind the curtain, and you're working in front of the curtain, that's a powerful place to be. You're at the, you're at the, the apex of right where God wants you. So, so when the curtain rises, you'll be perfectly positioned. God accomplish his purpose in your life. Check this out. When the silence finally ends, when God finally speaks again and the curtain rises and, and we get to Matthew chapter 1 verse 23, we've gone through all of the names. We've, we've recited who was born by whom and whose daddy's whose. And here's what we get in Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son check out what his name is. You see, I got a little boy coming in about a month, and we named him. Every one of my kids have a they have a name that is is somewhat meaningful, sort of, kind of. The second one just got the short end of the stick. It was like, oh, we already got one, so never mind. But the other two, and now the third, they have meaning behind their names. His names have meaning. Look at what God said his son's going to be called birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Why is that so important? Look what Matthew tells us it means. Which means God with us. Not God is absent. Not God has vacated the premises. Not God has abandoned not God has given up on you. Not just because you, you, you hear his silence and you feel his absence, that God has left your life somehow. No, no, no. When God finally speaks again after 400 years of silence, he says, I want you to know my name. I'm with you. I've never left. So the story of Christmas is this. He shall be called. Emmanuel. The story of Christmas is that even after 400 years of silence, God didn't go anywhere. So in your life, when you feel like he's gone silent, and you're praying and not getting any answer, and you're wondering, God, what are you doing? The story of Christmas reminds us that he hasn't left your life. Even though you feel like he's absent, he's been there the whole time. So when you feel his silence, you feel his absence, trust his presence. Because that's who he is. He is Emmanuel. God with us. We pray for you this morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. 
Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.